Welcome to Excel Leadership, an organization devoted to navigating enterprise on the high seas. Core values, core leadership, and core training. Dr. Bill Purvis is the leader of one of America's megachurches, a highly sought after motivational speaker, and founder and CEO of Excel Leadership. Businesses and industries today spend enormous amounts of money on training and wonder why they aren't seeing the results of these expenditures. Excel Leadership delivers results. Excel Leadership challenges you to grow in your personal life, leadership skills, and alignment of core values to achieve your maximum potential. Let's listen in as Bill speaks to a live audience of people just like you who are eager to grow in their leadership skills. And uh, that is, you know this, if you ever have to have a meeting, you know, if you ever noticed that uh, meetings can either get to the point or get off the track, uh, and if they're effective, you want to be there. And I think every meeting needs to have that place where you say, we've got to go in because we're going to, we call it around here, our term is move the ball. And they ought to be that we can go in there and sense that we move the ball. And there was a little bit of warmth. But th that's rare that you can always get that unless you have a strategy and you plan it in the beginning. Because oftentimes meetings will get off and chase other things or people wind up saying because they've had such bad experiences, I don't want to have to go to another meeting. Sometimes people spend their time so much in meetings, they feel like if I can get out of the meetings, I can just get something done. But they're necessary. So we're going to try to do the things we can to give you some, some guidelines and some boundaries and some help along that line. Um, we mentioned there's sometimes like going to the dentist. You know it's good for you. You don't want to go, so how do you make it productive, valuable, and compelling? Here's eight keys for successful staff meetings. Number one, determine who needs to attend. That's the number one thing. Who needs to be in the room? I did a meeting about three months ago. Came in and sat in a meeting and, and uh, shared these ideas, these thoughts, what was going. And it just wasn't going the way I thought it should go. And so I ended it. And when I left, somebody asked as we walked down the hallway, said, what's, the, you know, what's wrong? Because I knew you came in pumped up. And then 10 minutes later, we, we left. And I said, the wrong people are in the room. And, uh, and, and I figured that out about three minutes into the spill. I said, what good would it do? You know, they... They're kind of like, yeah, that's great, and you know, if you want us to cheer it and rah-rah it, fine, but we can't do anything to implement. And I realized the wrong people in the room. If you ever read uh, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, you remember one of the things he says is, is make sure you got the right people on the bus. You know, what's the point in taking the journey if you don't have the right people on? So the first thing you want to figure out is, who do I want in that room? And sometimes too large of a number can kill it. Sometimes too small of a number doesn't give you good ideas. What you really need are the people that you know are going to help you with that particular cause. Some people are creative, so you need them in a room if you're doing something creative. If you're not doing something creative, you don't need them in the room because they'll keep coming up with these ideas that are wonderful but not the time or the place. Some people are good managerial. So you've got to figure out what's the personality of the team members and who do I put in there. Number two, establish an agenda. Uh, and there comes back to that what do I want, and that is if I'm going to establish an agenda, these are the questions you want. Is a, is a status report necessary? Is do you have to tell what's happened so far up to, or do they all know? Uh, do you need to publicly recognize anybody for a job well done? We do in our meetings to keep morale up. We honor three people every month. Now, we'll also do something else. We, give a, we have a birthday cake, and we sing happy birthday to anybody that's had a birthday in the past month. But we honor three people every month, and nobody knows who they are. We go by those 13 values that we have. And so before the staff meetings, we'll decide which ones lived up to one of these values, and then we'll give the example of it. We'll stand there and say, value number six is, and we'll call it, 
and so and so did it. Let me tell you what they did. And we'll go through the value. And what we're doing is trying to lock again rewards to the people that hold the values. And so that's been one of the things we've done that we have found that works. Uh, the third question there was, what are the items to be discussed? You know, write down the questions and put them down. And what we find that works best for us. Now, different people do it different ways. You can spend a lot of time, you know, just every time you get an idea, calling the staff person or calling the person and giving it to them. Some things need that. By and large, uh, we'll try to do this. I'll keep a file. And those files will have staff meeting on it. And so between now and then, every time an idea comes up, that I could pick up the phone and have it done right now, but it could wait. I just go ahead and write it down and throw it in that file. And that way when I walk in that room, I can open that file and do it all at one time as opposed to bothering somebody 15 times in a day. And, and so you have to find what works for you, the system. Now, some things are urgent, and they need for you to go ahead and handle it then. But by and large, some things can wait, and when you go into that room, then you can cover it all, and, uh, and it keeps you from losing your time. Uh, the, uh, the obvious end of that is what's the goal? Every meeting ought to have a goal. There ought to be something that lets you know when you came out of there you got something accomplished. And, and we clarify the end of hours by saying, you know, we, we tell what we want, who we want to take care of, and we always believe, and we call it the who's got the monkey, you know, okay, now you got the monkey for this, you got the monkey for that, you got it for this. And then we'll say, okay, now that everybody's got a monkey on their shoulder, everybody's got responsibility, then we do this. We say, now let's go over it one more time. Because I want to make sure they don't walk out and say, oh, I didn't understand. Years ago, I used to lead staff meetings where they would do that. You know, we'd go in there and discuss it. We'd walk out, and, uh, and then it wouldn't get done, and we'd want to know why. Oh, I wasn't sure I was supposed to do that. So now we clarify again in front of everybody before we leave. Now, John, you said you're going to do so-and-so, right? Right. Everybody hear that? Yeah, John's going to do so-and-so. And Bob, you're going to do so-and-so, right? Right. And I want to hear it back from them because my, my problem is if I just say it and we assume it, there's, there's sometimes the, the, the fall. So that's the agenda. In fact, we, we have certain people that I'll call for a meeting that are such good people at meeting that if I'll call them, uh, I'll say, I need you to be here, and they'll always say, what's the purpose? And they, before they show up, they want to know what's the purpose. And so you need to have that before you. And if you can say, here's what it is, okay, I'll be there. And I think that's a good question to ask. Number three, communicate goals clearly. The biggest problem we have is that clarity issue. You know, leaders particularly, they want clarity. They want to know. There's nothing more frustrating than somebody that don't know what they want. That's why, by the way, this is the worst time of year for a marriage because in shopping, generally, women, you know, they want a little downtime and they want a break and they just want to browse through a little bit. And men never can kick it in that gear too well. And so when, when a man goes to a woman with, at the mall, you know, he's just frustrated because he's thinking we're here to bag it, conquer it, mount it, put it on the wall. That's the way we operate. And sometimes a woman, my wife and I, we shop. I, I, I'll be honest with you. Um, I'd, rather, I'd rather do almost anything. I'd rather get a root canal than have to, have to go shopping. Because she'll say, I'm going to look for a red dress. Good. Okay, red dress. Yeah. Now I've got it logged in. Red dress. So we're going in the red dress section. And all of a sudden, she'll just wander off of there and start looking at blue and white dresses. And, and I'm just doing the slow burn because, you know, you said red. There's not a red one over there. Why waste your time looking over there? And, and there's the frustration that, that we find. And it's all down to the clarity and getting on the agenda and, and deciding are we browsing or are we buying. Well, the same thing is true in that meeting. Communicate clearly. This is what we're going to do. 
set some particular goals so you can measure them. And then in communication, there's, I've always said this before a hundred times, so here's what it is. There's four ways you can miss it already. We call them flybys. I caught a guy Sunday morning right here, and he was talking to me about something, and he's a professor over here at Georgia Tech. He said, I'm a professor at Georgia Tech, and he teaches something there, I think, in engineering. And he wanted to ask me some questions. And so before I answered it, I said, would you repeat that? He started asking again, and, and I said, whoa, whoa, you just did a flyby. And he said, pardon me? And, he was, and so I said, okay, you know what a flyby is? He said, no. That's what I told him. He said, oh, that's a good term. Well, a flyby is when you come close, but you don't land. What he was saying, there was no way you could apply it. It was good theory, but, it, but you couldn't apply it. We do that all the time in communication. You know, it's what I said, what I thought I said, what you heard, what you thought you heard. And, and if you're not careful, that'll, that'll mess you up. So you need to be clear enough to say there's at least four ways we can miss each other. What I said, what I thought I said, what you heard, what you thought you heard. So let's make sure that, that what I'm saying is exactly what you're hearing and that we say the same thing. I have one friend that he'll drive you nuts, but boy, he's good at it. He will always ask, so what are we saying here? And then he'll make you say it back. Now say it to me again, but he never has breakdowns with problems. He raised three kids and did a great job with his kids. And he said, I learned that because my wife walked out when those boys were little. And he said, so I had to learn to communicate to them because otherwise they didn't get it. So he does that with adults to this day. Communicate clearly. Number four is motivate participants. If I'm going to have the meeting, it doesn't need to be a beat-up meeting or a meeting where, where people feel like they're drained. There needs to be some motivation there. So what we say here is tell a story, a short lesson to get them to see the need. And here's what I've always believed about motivating people. You've got to reach down and grab something within them. And that is you've got to, you've got to learn to see the need and, uh, and feel the need, but you've got to get people to touch the need. If they won't touch that need, they won't, they won't really uh, flow with or give themselves to. They'll, they'll give up when the job's done. They've got to really see and feel and touch it. If they touch it, it changes you. Uh, there's, there's a, you you've got to tell the story of somebody that came through or somebody that's hurting or whatever. If you do that, all of a sudden, now people say, well, that's the reason we're doing what we do. And, and I didn't realize that. I told a guy the other day, there's an usher in our church, and he came in, and he said, well, you know, some people are so grumpy, and I said, let me tell you a story. I took him down the hallway and told him a story. I said, there was a time that, uh, that I came up, and there was a guy that walked by, and he was walking down the hallway, and I stopped and spoke to him, and while I was talking to him, uh, got, got this chance to get to know him some. He said, I, I thank you. I'm going to come back to church, and so he, uh, we, we began to talk about his need. He told me that what had happened was is that his father had died of cancer and that he was taking care of his mother who also had cancer. And he said, I'm working two jobs, going to school at night, and I've also got my little brother to take care of and my mother, and I'm do doing all I can with the medication there. We don't have any insurance. And he said, and I've been to several churches, and nobody speaks to me. Nobody has anything to do with me. He said, I know I look dirty, but I'm poor. He said, but I dressed the best I could. And, and so in just communicating with him, Here's a guy that said, because you took time with me, I want to come back. So I grabbed this usher and said, let me tell you, you don't know the next person walking through that door what they're struggling with. That guy may have looked like to you that he's, uh, he's, not, you know, he's not buying into anything. He may have looked like to you that he was miserable. He was an unhappy person. But you don't know what he's struggling with that you would wish you never have to struggle with. And so remember, behind every face that comes through that door is a person. 
And, uh, and if they hurt you, just remember this, hurting people hurt people. And sometimes they've gone through grief or something like that. So that's what they're going to do. So don't ever lose sight of the next guy that walks through that door may be somebody that your small effort may go a long way. And he's in church to this day just because we reached out to him. And, and so that's where I think you can touch the need with some of those. If you can tell them the story part, I think it helps. Uh, number five, stimulate creative thinking. If you're the leader of the organization, it's very important that you don't give your ideas first. Uh, people have a natural tendency, we say, to please the leader. So if you go first, you, they, you may end up only with your ideas on the table. If you want fresh ideas, let them. Those ways are pretty easy. The fun time, now, we do creative thinking a little differently. Um, the next series I'm going into, I just had a guy that was in my office a moment ago. He said, whoa, those look great. And it's about three months worth of stuff. Here's how we do creative stuff. When, when we have management-type meetings, which are fix the problem, how do we manage it? But then we have, what are we going to do to get us to another level? And those kind of meetings, we load the table with sugar, with cake, and cookies, and coffee, and tea, and, and, uh, and Coke. And we load it, and we say, now come into this room, and we tell them, get high. You know, we say, just, I want to get a buzz. I want you bouncing off the seat. Now, we're going to talk about... What would you do if you had unlimited resources and there was nothing holding you back? What would you do? And the ideas start flowing. And when you make it permissible that it's, there's no such thing as a bad idea, we take a big dry write board and we just write down every idea you can imagine. And while we're writing those ideas down, then some of them later fall off the board, some of them stay on, but we find those. And those are the things to do. I have a friend that sells real estate, by the way, for you realtors, and, uh, and he was telling me a while back, the real estate that he's selling down in South Florida, he said, he brings his team together and says, how can we sell differently than the way anybody else sells? He said, you tell me how we can do it. And he said, we're creating some ways to sell real estate that nobody's selling. And he said, and it's the greatest thing. He said, we're having fun doing what we do because we're not just filling out paperwork or going through the same stuff. I think every place uh, has that. You know, that movie a while back with uh, Robin Williams where he was a doctor and he put on the clown outfit, you know, and went around and... And he made suddenly what could be uh, a, a dull job to be an exciting job, ministry to folks. I think every one of us could find some way to do our business with a, with a creative touch to it if we would. Sometimes it's easy to get vanilla and get in a box. If you could do it the way that you wanted to do it with no restraints or barriers, how would you do it? Uh, number six, stay on track. In your meeting, when you, you got to have somebody perhaps if you're not good at it. But, and we have a guy that kind of calls the whistle on us. But... Uh, but stay on track. That is, if you know this is the agenda and you've only got 15, 20 minutes, we say set a time. This meeting's going to last an hour. This will last 20 minutes. That'll last two hours. But, but you're staying on track realizes that when it's gotten too far off, if it's not a creative meeting, if it's gotten too far off, you, you just harness it back. Number seven, end the meeting on a positive note. Don't ever end a meeting with somebody's going to get fired around here. Heads are going to roll. This company's going under. You know, when you end it like that, that's a terrible way to leave people. It ought to always end on such a good note. Now, there's a lot of things. I, I, I tell you what I thought was the greatest thing. We went down one time years ago to Disney World and got to sit in on their staff meeting. And we spent about three days, just a couple of us, we spent three days in there with all the big boys watching how they handle all their CEOs. And it was a phenomenal experience. They're, they're off the charts when it comes to their leadership skills and what they do. And the way they run Disney World is unbelievable. Now, we didn't get, a, get to be a part of one meeting that we wanted to do. They weren't doing it at the time, but uh, they told us how it goes, and I love the idea of that one. They said, if you watch a Disney movie, you will never find one single flaw in that movie. Like, for example, if a clock shows 1 o'clock 
and then you know they have to animate it. At the next scene, it'll show 101, and the shadow will be perfect. And they said, let me tell you how we do it. They said, Michael Eisner, the, the CEO, comes in the room, and he has just wads of $100 bills. I mean, they've just got a big old chest over their bag, and they stuff his pockets filled with $100 bills. He said, we're going to watch the movie. We'll say 101 Dalmatians. We're going to watch the movie before the public ever sees it. And he says, and everybody gets a whistle, and they all get a whistle. And said, now, if you see one flaw in this movie, then you blow the whistle. First one to blow the whistle, we'll roll it back to where you said there was a mistake. And if it's a mistake, you get 100 bucks. He said, we've had people walk out of here sometime with thousands of dollars. But you know how that saves them down the road? And you know what the critics do when they see it and they can't find a flaw? Because they corrected themselves. It made me want to go down and get a part-time job at Disney World. I, you know, I, and, and I know some people that are such good critics, they would be, you know, they'd make a fortune doing that. But can you imagine the, 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 the way it ends on such a positive note? And so there's some way with every meeting you ought to find a way to say something, do something, that when they leave out of there, they feel like we've got a, we've got a target, but we also are pumped for where we're going. Number, number uh, eight, prepare a meeting summary. We have a lady who always is taking notes, and she's typing everything, and as soon, and she's fast, and I have to give her credit, the moment the meeting is over, and it may be because I have to talk to people in the hallway, but we'll be on a third floor in a meeting, and when I get back down to my office after that meeting, it's already in my box, the notes of that meeting, every time. And I've often said, man, I don't know who taught this girl to do that or how she does it, but she gets it off and gets it in there so that I'm able then to walk into that room and look back and say, okay, this is what we just discussed a few moments ago, and this is what we're going to do, and here's who's going to do what. And that's a great way to track it by the next time, too, because you've always got a record of it. And so the summary of it keeps you from having to keep coming back to the same thing and trying to fix the same problem at all times. You know then when you go into the next month's meeting, you've got that summary in front of you so you can find out, was it all done? Now that that's done, we, we, we start on something else. And so that's the part that it's basically just like bookends. It's how to start it, what time we put into it, what our intention is, who's at the table, and then how to close it off at the end. None of us like meetings, but if we don't like them, then we ought to find a way to at least make them profitable and productive. And, uh, and so if we'll do it right, I think we can have some good meetings. And they don't have to be the things that drain us. They can be the things that help to guide us and to uh, sometimes even take some things off your plate. I've found many times things I'm doing, somebody in the room is a lot better. And that meeting time is a great time for me to go ahead and say, look, I've got something you do a lot better, so have at it. And, uh, and so sometimes meetings can be the best thing that you do if it's planned right. And so that's my hope and my goal for you today. Learn how to have good meetings. And I would say this on the closing of it. The danger is there's two kinds of personalities. There's people sometimes that don't like to meet at all. They just like to do it. And they're real good starters and they're real fast. They don't understand or comprehend the value of meetings. And then there's this other group that sometimes in a meeting, they're not, they're not as action-oriented. All of us need them. We need them focused. But there's one particular guy I know that went real well from, from nothing, actually, to where he is today. And he has this deal where he has a meeting every morning. He says, I sat down the night before, and I write everything I'm going to do and everything I want to be done. And then he says, I don't go to bed unless that's done. He said, I refuse to let myself sleep until I've got the agenda for the morning. And the next morning, it's like a huddle. 
He said, I go in and I call everybody in. He said, I've had people that didn't want to be in that meeting. He said, they're not on the team anymore. He said, we sat there for one hour that next morning at the most, and sometimes shorter, and he says, and we go through that meeting. He said, now, when I give it to them, they go out and run the plan for the rest of the day. And he said, I don't have the breakdown. He said, years ago, I did it wrong. Years ago, I used to just kind of meet as we needed instead of meeting regularly every day. And his, he lives and dies by this principle, and it has really worked well for him. He said, if most of my time is spent on the planning end, I don't, have, I don't have to worry about all the problem solving. He said, because good planning will take care of the problems. He said, but most of my competitors spend little time in planning and all their time handling problems. When if they'd have done better planning, they wouldn't have those problems. And, uh, and we have tried to pick up on that some and do it at certain levels. And I really have found there's value in that. Um, probably 50% of your good times should be spent in the planning side. And then you do the execution. And if you'll do it that way, I think you'll find some real advantage and real benefits to it. All right, I'm going to wrap it up here. And I think Catherine.